Okay, folks, welcome to a Salt City Hoops podcast, the first edition of the 2021-2022 season for the Salt City Hoops podcast. Uh, we're here to break down the season that is now just uh, days. We can, we can, I mean, we can kind of say hours, like it's more than one day, but you can still count in hours the amount of time until the Jazz will be back in action. Um, the NBA, of course, will start Tuesday evening. Um, and ahead of that, and the and Wednesday debut. Uh, we're here. You're you're two of your favorite Salt City Hoops podcasters, the Clayton brothers. Um, Dan Clayton over here. Uh, Ken, Ken Clayton over there. Yes, I thought that was a pause for me to introduce myself, but uh, oh, we'll no. step, like you said, we'll step over each other a couple of times on this. Yeah, probably, probably. We're out of practice. Um, yes, relation. By the way, on the Dan and Ken thing. Uh, we are here to uh, to pose each other a series of. Um, I mean, is it is it safe to say penetrating questions? I mean, we're gonna we're gonna really dive in on the on the Utah Jazz and and their season. What we have done is we have each come up with five questions about different players or personnel that we are going to ask one another. But I don't know the five questions Ken is going to ask me. Ken does not know the five questions I'm going to ask him. So it's all going to unfold spectacularly <laughs> or, what could go wrong? or or embarrassingly yeah. right here on uh, on the air. Although, you know, hey, we have editing power. So um, if it does go spectacularly wrong, you'll never know. Um, Ken, how's it going? Uh, pretty good. Um. Just over your uh, your your picture organizing COVID quarantine. So sucks that you had COVID. Glad you got your pictures organized. Yeah, I'm still uh, working on the last bit of that last trip, but uh, it, I did get a shot in the arm on on picture organization because that's what I did in some of my many hours of sitting alone in a room. Yeah, yeah. I had the other end of COVID isolation, which is that. While my wife was isolating, I was on kid duty around the clock. Right. So, um, so I was not organizing pictures or anything. <laughs> um, but anyway, glad you're feeling better, um, and glad we get to uh, glad we get to see some real NBA basketball in 24 hours and some jazz basketball in a little under 48. Yep. From the time we're recording this, I don't know when you nice people out there in internet world are listening. Um, Ken and I are tackling these these tough questions on a Monday evening as we get ready for the season to start. So, um, Ken, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you I'm gonna let you go ahead and have at it first. I'm gonna let you throw me one of your five. Um, I got to come up with synonyms because I can't just keep saying penetrating <laughs> for this entire podcast. If I like, it'll be rated as a different kind of podcast. Nobody wants that. And um, we'll have to get a lot of consent if you keep saying penetrating. That's true. So you did tell me which players you were going to ask me about so that I didn't duplicate. You did not tell me what the questions were. Um, so what, should we just go like one-on-one -on -one here? You want to yeah. like pepper? Okay, bring it on. Yeah. Ask me a question. Yeah, it's no, uh, it's no make it, take it. You have to, we, we will go one-on-one, -on -one, even if you make it with a really good answer to my question. I don't, Whoa. I don't even know what making it would look like in this particular <laughs> context. So, <laughs> I guess Or just taking a, it. Yeah. I guess just a, a really good answer, a high score from the Russian judge. I don't know. Okay. 
Okay, here we go. My first question is going to be about our Utah Jazz 2021-22 starting point guard, Mike Conley. Question is, assuming, pretend for a minute, we're not going to have any injuries to Conley this year. What does a successful season look like to you as far as Mike Conley's games played and minutes per game? And I'm going to remind you that the Jazz have 13 back-to-back sets. He played 29 0.4 minutes per game last year, and he just recently turned, one week ago today, turned 34 years old. Okay, if you need any of that, again, but that's my question to you is... No, that's helpful. It's like yeah. an open book quiz. You, you <laughs> ask me the tough question, but then I get a whole bunch of information. So, um, so I'm not under the impression that they are planning to rest him on 100% of back-to-backs. So I'm going to, I'm going to factor that into my answer. Like, in other words, I'm not sure that the, I'm not sure that the upper limit is 69 because there are 82 games and he's going to definitely sit 13 of them. Right. I think that they're going to see how it goes. Um, they even played him on some back-to-backs late in last season, even though he was dealing with some of that hamstring stuff. Um, when he did play last season, he averaged 29.4 minutes per game, um, a little under his career norm, but again, you know, it, for his age 33 season, that kind of makes sense. So what would success look like in terms of games played and minutes played? And I guess what I really meant, and I probably should have uh, worded this differently, is what would success look like from the standpoint of the regular season just ended and, you walk, and you're walking into the playoffs? What would you like to see have happened in the regular season to feel like we have our best chance at – 16 wins worth of games with Mike Conley on the floor. Um, you know, okay. So first of all, hamstrings are tricky, right? Um, hamstrings are one of those injuries that, um, having had a hamstring injury is a, is a decent predictor that you might have hamstring injuries in the future. Um, having said that when Chris Paul was about Mike Conley's age now, he missed part. He missed big chunks of two consecutive seasons because of hamstring injuries, and now he's a 36-year-old point guard who just got done taking his team to the NBA Finals. So, um, you know, just imagine if the if the Phoenix Suns had said, like, "Oh no, these these hamstring injuries at age 32, 33 disqualify Chris Paul from leading our team to special places. We're not going to sign him. We're not going to trade for him. Whatever." Imagine what they would have lost out on. So I, I kind of, I, I feel a little bit that same way about Mike. Um, I also think that one of the things we learned about Mike in his first season is that he is kind of a rhythm player. And so I, I'm going to say like, you, you want Mike being whole going into the playoffs, but I don't think you necessarily, I don't think, I don't think the worry with him is necessarily like miles on an odometer so much as it's just like you want him to be physically well. So, so I think you probably, you know, if he can play 70 to 75 games and stay somewhere around last year's minute average, that means you're resting him selectively or, and, or he missed a week at some point in the season just to, you know, soak in a hot tub and, and soothe some old muscles. Um, but but he also hits mid-April kind of feeling like his best self, feeling like he's in rhythm, feeling like he has good chemistry with the team. I, I think that matters to Mike. Uh, 
um, more than more than just arriving in late April, having been bubble wrapped for six months. So I'm going to say, I'm going to say 70 ish, 70 plus. Okay. <clears throat> How would you, I mean, Russian judges that was the, was the Russian judge on the line. How, how did I do? How would you have answered that question? I would have answered that question. My impression. And I, and I, you know, I'd have to go back and listen to a week's worth of podcasts to see if this was explicitly said, or if I inferred it, but I understood from the radio voice of the Utah jazz, David Locke from the locked on jazz podcast that they would likely be resting Mike Conley. Now, I don't know if it will always be the, you know, on the back-to-backs or whatever, but I have understood that they will be doing that and that, that that's one place where, you know, certain players are going to get a little more ability to, you know, the, the, where the new, where, where some of this depth that we hope we have acquired will be able to be manifest because, because maybe a Mike Conley and, and potentially a Joe Ingles are not going to play quite as much throughout the year. We'll see if that happens. So that, so that was, that played into my impression of where we were going. You have a different impression that maybe he won't be. So I guess the first indication we'll have will be on the 30th and 31st of this month on Halloween. We'll see if, Mike Conley plays two games in a row or if he does not. Well, I, I mean, I think we're, I think we're closer than you just made it sound. Cause I, cause I am saying like, I think over the course of a season, he's he, a guy at his age is likely to take a dozen games off for some combination of load management and like, Oh, my, my hamstrings tight or my ankles sore, or I have a headache or what, you know, whatever it may be. So I, I don't think we're saying anything that's too, too different. I just think that, Um, I just think that with Mike, especially, uh, uh, another concern is, I mean, look, we saw in game six, what happens when you're just like, okay, play now. And, and obviously he still wasn't physically right in game six. And that's a lot of what we saw. But, um, but again, I just, I, I go back to the belief that, um, the Mike's kind of, the Mike's kind of a rhythm player and a confidence player and, and that's why that first jazz season was kind of hard for him and up and down. And that's why the second season got a lot better. So, um, you know, I don't know, I guess, I guess we'll see. I, this isn't the order I was going to go in, but I have a very related question on my list for you. So should I just go for it and we'll just get the old guys out of the way? Let, let's go for it. All right. Penetrating question. Number two, um, how big of a role? I mean, this is basically the same question. How big of a role can Joe Ingles play in the regular season? And I'm not even, I mean, I don't know. I won't lead the witness, but I'm not even necessarily talking about minutes and games played. I'm also talking about, um, you know, at, at different points in the season last year when the Jazz got all those guard injuries in April and May, Joe Ingles was like the point guard, not like an option at point guard. He was like running the show for 36 minutes a night, right? So how big of a role can Joe Ingles play and still be the guy they need him to be in May and June? Well, how big, I don't know how to quantify that exactly, but I do think they need to be as careful, if not more careful with him as, as they are with Mike Conley, uh, who we just discussed. I think, I mean, we go back to last year and the, and the tipping point of the season was Donovan's injury because I think that pushed 
Mike Conley and Joe Ingles into playing more. And then eventually Mike's hammy hurt gets hurt. And so now Joe Ingles gets pressed into playing even more. And by the playoffs, I mean, there were some people wondering just what was going on with him. He, he didn't seem entirely there. I mean, some people felt you know beyond physically, just mentally, emotionally, was he really entirely there? And was he able to be the Joe Ingles we, we, we want him to be and we need him to be to be able to advance farther than the second round of the playoffs? So I think definitely they need to be looking at ways, whether it's missing games or shaving minutes or doing whatever. And I know that's tough with any player and, and, and especially for a guy who was proud of his Ironman streak, which no longer, you know, I mean, I guess there's a new one, but it's a, a very small number. I think I, I don't remember exactly when he last missed a game. So I think you want to be able to talk to Joe and, and, and work through that with him and, and be able to get him to just so that he enters the playoffs with a little more, with a little more jingles than I think he had last year. Well said. I'll just, I'll just leave that one there. Okay. Nothing, nothing for me to add. We've, we have now dealt with the mid 30. Well, I guess part of the mid thirties crew. So <laughs> I now subject myself to your next um, big, tough question for me. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to jump to the, we're, we're going to leave the thirties and we're going to go to, instead of the, the, the two returning 30 ish, 30 something guys, we're going to go to the, the two returning star players. Um, there's a lot of talk I've seen on Twitter recently. I don't know if you have about Donovan taking it to another level and there are different variations on what that means. So I guess I'm asking what is, what do you think is realistic? He scored 26.4 points per game. I believe last year is it 28. Is it 30? Some people have predicted or, or hoped or projected him leading the league in scoring. I saw somebody even put some money on him winning the MVP. What do you think is realistic for Donovan to, you know, air quotes, take it to the next level? Uh, side note, because I like to do side notes and tangents so that I can buy myself time to think about the question. Um, I, I actually saw someone post, um, it, it was a non-jazz person, and I don't even remember whose account it was, but but they were talking about the MVP um, futures for this upcoming season. And they basically were making the case for why Giannis was really the only person you could vote for, for MVP. And what they said is that historically an MVP is someone who scores more than 25 points per game is on a top two seed. And I can't, and I can't remember what the other, there was something else, some other qualifier in their tweet, but they were using that as the evidence to say, well, Giannis is, cl oh, and it was someone that was 24 to 28 years old. And that was this person's evidence to say Giannis is the, he's clearly, you know, the historical precedence shows he's really the only choice for MVP for this coming season. And I'm going, okay, hey, wait, <laughs> I know a guy who's, tw who was 24 this past season, averaged 26 and a half points. Um, and led his team to the best record in the league and uh, got some votes, I think. Right. Wasn't he, he was, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But pretty low, I believe he, yeah, he was on some ballots. I, yeah, I shouldn't even yeah. say he got MVP votes. He was on some, he was on some ballots. 
So, you know, so that's the funny thing about, you know, whatever Donovan does this cup, this upcoming season, you know, will it result in MVP consideration? I don't know. Probably doubtful because the Jazz are in one of those weird situations where it's, it's still hard to figure out who is their best 82 game player. Um, I think for the last couple of seasons, Donovan has been far and away their best playoff performer, but you know, a a regular season award is based on regular season contributions. And I think, um, I think we're still at a point where Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell are, you know, co-MVPs of this jazz team. So that's going to be tough for him to get the recognition. I do think we're talking back to your question though. I do think we're talking about a player who just consistently has improved year over year, every season in the league, whether you're looking at raw counting stats or whether you're looking at per minute or per possession numbers, um, whether you're looking at, certain advanced stats. I mean, a lot of the advanced stats are, are they're coming along slower for him. For example, he's still a, he was still a 569 true shooter last year, which is right around league average. And look, if you're going to have a guy using, <clears throat> excuse me, using a third of the possessions while he's on the floor, you definitely want him to be at least league average. Right. So that's, so that's useful. But, but I mean, you know, Points per 100 possessions, he was at 38 and a half last season after 30.7 as a rookie, 33.7 as a second year player, 34.1 as a third year player. Points per 36, he goes 22 up to 25, 25 again, and then jumps to 28 and a half this last season. So I, I guess, I guess what I'm saying is, I, you know, I don't, I don't know, like, when James Harden was 24, weren't there probably people trying to kind of arbitrary, arbitrarily put limits on that and on where he was going to go? And when Damian Lillard was 24, weren't people kind of doing the same thing and saying like, hey, cool story. He's outplaying his draft position, but you know we've probably more or less seen the best of Damian Lillard and then he kept getting better. So I, I, don't, I don't know the answer to the question, but I I. I guess my answer to the question is like, why not? Why couldn't he take another mini leap and, you know, be a, a you know, a, a top 10 player? I mean, I think once you're, I think once you're an MVP candidate, once you're a guy who gets significant MVP votes, MB, MVP votes, at that point, you're a top 10 or 12 player, right? And yeah. um, I think Don's, tr- trajectory signals that he's getting there whether he scores 27 a game or 29 a game this upcoming season um and frankly but you know i've even seen people suggest that hey the jazz don't need him to score as much because they're deeper so maybe his scoring will go down but his assists will go up i disagree i think that i still think that the jazz very much need donovan to be donovan as a primary engine um you know nobody said with all due respect to these guys, like nobody said like, Oh, the Warriors signed Andre Iguodala. So they no longer need Steph to be Steph. Right. Right. Like I think when you're the alpha guy on a contending team, you don't, you don't say, Oh, my seventh man is better. My eighth man is better. My ninth man is better. So I'm just going to, I'm just going to take it easy for 82. So I, I do think we'll see, I do think we'll see another, at least another modest step up. And, um, and then the question of whether or not that leads to awards contention, I, I, 
I don't know. It's it's just tough to it's it's weird given the 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 person's tweet that I just mentioned. It's weird that he didn't get a little bit more love last season. Although again, I get it because the Jazz also have a really valuable guy who whose value manifests in other ways. So that was a really long way of not answering your question. Yeah, the East German judge is not very happy with your answer, and that's saying something because East Germany isn't even a real country anymore. So yeah, yeah. Um. I feel like I failed. Was there like a, I don't, I don't even know. Was it like, remind me what the specific, like, was I supposed to give an answer on points per game or was it more broad than that? All of no. my questions are really broad and touchy feely. Maybe that's yeah. why you're asking me accountant questions and I'm asking you PR questions. This one wasn't so much accounting questions. This is just though I gave you four different versions of, of what different people have said would be taking it to a new level. But no, this this one was not really an accountant question. This was really more of a touchy feely. This is so I'm I'm it, you're you're perfectly fine. There wasn't like a you have to put a number on it or you failed. Take but that you, East German yeah. judge. Jeez. <laughs> um so fair enough. I and I, I will also say that like a lot of people have been talking about the defensive end of the court. Yeah. And and again, I agree with that and I think that he needs to get to a point where he's not like a minus on the defensive end of the floor. Um, but again, people who are saying that on the premise that like, Oh, he can invest more in the defensive end because they've, the jazz have all these weapons offensively. I, again, I still just, I can't get there because who he is as not just like a, like Donovan is not just a guy who puts the ball in the net X times a night. Like he is the engine. He is the motor that gets the whole thing working and running and, and that he's on top of scouting reports. And the, so, I, so I just, you know, like it, it's the reason why, like when Don's out, you don't just have to replace 26 points. You have to replace kind of the way you're thinking about generating offense. And um, so, so I do want him to, I do want him to get better on defense. I do think that's his quickest route to getting in the MVP conversation is to, is to improve his reputation on that end. But um, I, I don't, I am not of the mind that it, that that can come at the expense of who he is as an offensive engine. I would agree. All right. All right. Ask away. Um, should we stay in the all-star realm? Let's stay in the all-star realm. Okay. We're going big. Uh, um, will Rudy Gobert's role in the offense look any different this season after all the whatevering about, you know, couldn't punish switches in the Clippers series, whatever, whatever. Will his role in the offense look any different this season? And just as importantly, will it look any different when we get to the postseason? All right. Um, with the caveat that you just never know what to take from the preseason, it feels like to me the answer is yes. Um, it's not going to be dramatically different, I, I don't think, but we've seen a couple of jump shots. We've seen what seemed to me to be a real emphasis on getting the ball to Rudy when he was down low. Now, he didn't always, you know, even when he had a guy down there, he's still working on really being able to pin a guy, even a smaller guy, and being able to, you know, have his way with him down there. But it just felt to me 
like there was an, an, an emphasis on doing it. Now, there are two reasons for that. One is they want to develop it. They want to get him there. They want to be able to do that because they need it next May and June. Or the other is he's been asking for it. Let's do it a little bit. And sh then we can show him, look, Rudy, this isn't working. I mean, hopefully that, I mean, I'm sure they would rather have it work, but if it doesn't work, then we can show him and say, no, we're going to, we're gonna, not going to, we're not going to change the offense to do more of that. But it felt to me like they were trying to make an, make an effort to get him the ball more, to get him the ability to score down low when he, when, when he, when the opportunity was there. So I am going to say yes, but I don't think it's going to be, you know, we're not going to see his, his usage rate. I mean, certainly not double, but I mean, even like, even like half again, probably not, it's going to be more modest than that, but hopefully it's something that they can do and get, get, uh, get some play out of so that they have a different way to be more, uh, what's the word I'm looking for. So they can, so they can have more, uh, options when teams go small on them by the end of the, by the end of the year. Yeah. Um, what, what's funny about Rudy is like going back. Well, really let's just look at like the Donovan Mitchell era, right? Because the jazz were, the jazz were different before yeah. the summer of 2017 than they have been for the past four seasons. His field goal attempts per game is like crazy crazy, crazy consistent between 7.9 and 8.8 .8 in each of those four seasons. Um, and, and, you know, similar, similar with his usage, like his usage is always 16 to 17%. Um, I think, you know, if they were more confident in his free throw shooting, then maybe you throw the ball in there a few times more. But I, but I guess the question for me is, um, does Rudy continue to be essentially the big decoy, like the guy whose role? Well, and, and actually, let me like let's give Rudy credit in the way we in the way we say this. Like, if you take the last five years of NBA seasons and combine them and and look at every player in the last five seasons and their true shooting, Rudy Gobert is the best true shooter in the NBA for five seasons running. Not, meaning he hasn't led every one of those five seasons, but cumulatively over that five season span, nobody has been more efficient on a per shot scoring level than Rudy. And, and because of that, his roles just create so much panic and so much collapsing and so much. It's the reason why the jazz were just able to put up a historic number of three point shots and, and make a historic number of three point shots. So I, I'm, I'm wondering to what degree they're going to let the noise around Rudy can't punish a switch, get to them slash get to him. Um, because, because frankly, like as much as, as fun as it was when he like popped that 15 foot jumper last week in the preseason finale, like I'm not sure you necessarily, when you have a guy who's true shooting, is it 680, 690? I'm not sure you necessarily want to dilute that with a bunch of right. free throw line jumpers or, or, you know, big sweeping hook shots or whatever. Like I, I do like that Rudy has continually expanded his game and that he's better at like one and two dribble finishes now. Make it, he can do a little bit more in the finesse department, but, um, but yeah, I'm not one of those people who wants Rudy to rethink his shot diet. Um, but I, but I understand that that's going to be 
the narrative about him until he does. So that sucks, I guess. <laughs> okay. So we answered that one. All right. Yeah. That was think, that was your question to me. So that I'm was up. my question okay. to you. Yeah. All right. Uh, let me think. Where are we going to head here? We're gonna we're gonna stay big. I like it. Okay. So Hassan Whiteside is a personality that I don't think we've seen the likes of, and I might be a little a little being a little glib here, but I don't think we've seen the likes of since Daryl Dawkins played four games for the Jazz in 1987. Chocolate Thunder. Uh huh. Now that we've seen him. Hassan Whiteside, not Daryl Dawkins recently, for a few preseason games. How do you feel like he will work with the Jazz for the Jazz? Or will he, like Dawkins, be traded by the end of November? And yes, <laughs> I know, I know that he can't be traded by the end of November because the rules are different. But Daryl Dawkins was. So um, well, or or it could be the Jeff Green route where they have this great vision for how he plugs in and then he doesn't make it till Christmas without just Right. You know, getting yeah. left behind in Miami. Yeah. Um, I'm being, I, for, I know you know this, Ken. Listeners, I'm joking about the leaving him off the team flight in Miami. He, he was left in Miami because, you know, maybe that's where he wanted to be. Um, I really don't know. <laughs> this is, this is unsatisfying. I know. The East German and judge I, is getting that too I ready. See, I see the looks from all the judges. I see the the way that their faces are twisting. So here's the thing. I came into the preseason as um as one of those people who was like like if you really look at Hassan Whiteside statistically and compare him to like let's just say Derek Favors, player who he's replacing in that role in the Jazz's um ecosystem and rotation. I think it's pretty hard to to make the case. Like if you just look at the last three years, and let's remember that the last three years were probably the worst three years of Whiteside's post-Europe career. Um, he still averaged 19 and 17 per 36 minutes. Favors averaged 15 and 13. Um, he averaged essentially the same VORP, essentially the same box plus minus, Rebound percentage, both guys were at 24%. Uh, effective field goal percentage, white side was 59.3, favors was 61.3. In other words, like I, I'm not sure that you could make the case coming into the preseason that white side was like there are people out there in Jazzland who think that white side represents a huge downgrade. And I'm not sure the stats represent that. And that's mostly the point I tried to make going into the preseason. There's this one particular play, problematic play type that I saw over and over and over again. And it's the reason why I'm worrying and hedging a little bit off of my white side is going to be fine for 12 minutes, a 12 minutes a night shtick. Mm -hmm. And it's, and it's slot pick and roll. Every time white side steps out to pick up the ball in slot pick and roll, he doesn't move back ever. He does not get back to his man ever. He steps out. If he if he has to get both feet outside of the lane to show on a pick and roll, that's where, that's where they're staying. <laughs> that's where Hassan Whiteside's corpse will be buried under the hardwood. Um and that's and that's like look, Rudy Gobert is special and we've all been spoiled because we've been watching 
seven or eight seasons, I guess nine seasons now of Rudy Gobert. Um, and like Rudy is there, there, I don't think there's anybody in the league who is consistently as good at guarding two in the pick and roll, um, as Rudy. So it's, some of it is you just got to adjust. Like you, if that's the curve you're grading on, then everyone is going to look like a bum. But I just think that for Whiteside to work the way he needs to work, um, there needs to be just like a tiny bit more effort. Like just try to get back in front. If the guy dunks on you, then he dunks on you. But like just show the team that there's some consistency of effort there. Um, And that's, that's, I guess, the one thing that I've been worried about is how often he just kind of stands just outside the paint looking back at his guy dunking and goes, well, you know, well, what happened there and looking uh-huh. confused. And, and by the way, like, again, that's the way most teams help, right? Like that's probably what he's used to. Cause in the NBA, most teams have the big man, you know, contain the ball. And then they have a weak corner guy step in and tag the roller. So the roller can't get all the way to the rim. The Jazz don't defend that way because they have Rudy Gobert. The Jazz try to defend pick and rolls two on two. And so Hassan is probably looking over his shoulder going, wait, where's my help man coming from? But that's just, that's not the, that's not the way the Jazz usually approach things. Obviously they, they switch some things up. They do some opponent specific schemes, but um, so it could be just adjusting after all these years of muscle memory, waiting for the help to come from the same place. Um, or, or it could be, you know, could be problematic. I I'm not sure yet, but, um, but I do think he's a more talented player than, than some of the doubters have given him credit for. Um, and I think if he can just, you know, make an effort to stay in those plays after showing on the ball that, uh, you know, the jazz can be, well, let, let me put, let me put it this way. And then I promise I'll shut up. Um, like, the 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 favors that one favors lineup where it was I'm doing this from memory but I think it was Don Clarkson Ingles Bogey favors or maybe it was Don Clarkson Royce Bogey favors but anyway the the one favors lineup that played the most in that in that weird lineup that Quinn Snyder did where he has Mike and Rudy run three stints mm-hmm. um that was a that was a positive lineup and it's the reason why that rotation worked because the jazz could play positive basketball in those minutes but it was a it was a crappy defensive lineup it was a positive lineup because nobody could stop them right so that's the other thing to keep in mind with hassan is if all they need him to do is is be that favor stand in for 12 minutes a night those might not be the the jazz's 12 best defensive minutes of the night and it might not matter so i i guess that's the thing we have to figure out is can that group that can this year's equivalent of that group be good enough offensively that when Hassan Whiteside gets stuck on the poster or sometimes not even in the poster because he's so far out of the frame that he's that the poster, the photographer couldn't get him in the poster. Carlos Boozer. I got my man. Yeah. Yeah. So three point line. Yeah. So yeah, that's exactly in, in you just said in four seconds, what I have not, articulated well in like three minutes now it's it's exactly that that's the problem and we have to see how much of a problem it is as he gets acclimated into this system yeah i think um 
I'll add that I heard probably also from David Locke that, that either before or after or both the most recent preseason game, there were extra reps with Hassan Whiteside and the pick and roll with Quinn Snyder. So they know, you know, whether it's, whether it's, and, and I suspect it is partly effort, but partly muscle memory. They're at least working on the muscle memory part and probably also on uh, just reminding him that effort is important part. So hopefully that kind of uh, takes care of itself a little bit. And then one more thing, because I impugned his character a little bit, I will say that Hassan Whiteside, to my knowledge, has never claimed to be from the planet Lovetron, but he reminded me of Daryl Dawkins a little bit, just because he's just, he just seems a little goofy. I don't know if you, you saw the yeah. bit where he, where he did the, the tour of the, of the practice facility. And that's yeah. great. You know, not everybody has to be serious. It's just the sort of thing when I saw him playing for another team and being goofy, I thought, well, that guy is no good. He's, a... <laughs> and I don't feel that way anymore, but it just reminded me a little bit of Daryl Dawkins because Daryl Dawkins was always in a completely different place from anybody else. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I like, it's no secret in the NBA, the Hassan Whiteside, um, that tuning in 100% of the time has not been his calling card. So, yeah. um, you know, we'll see. He's, he's in a position now where he's, he's able to play for something. You know, he, he's, he's in a position to play for something really special. So maybe that'll get him dialed in or maybe not. All right. I think we're about halfway through with questions and we're trucking along on time. So uh, throw me a, throw yeah, me a yeah, question. Yeah. All right. This one might be kind of like the softball of the group because I, well, I won't, I, I won't answer the question for you, but, but I'm going to go, I'm going to go to uh, the vibe tribe next. Okay. So do the jazz get Jordan Clarkson from the first month of the season when he was in the 50, 40, 90 club for the better part for, for like, yeah, for a month basically, or do they get the Clarkson that followed games 14 and on that was 534 true shooting again that's well below average which means every possession the the average jordan clarkson possession made the utah jazz's offense worse um which might not be the way a lot of people see it because you know he, he did get things unstuck a lot but uh but not always efficiently um and also in the in the latter part of the season after that first month um he had an upside down net rating so which jordan clarkson do the jazz see um you know for for the next 82 i would love to say the 50 40 90 guy um i'm just gonna say i hope it's somewhere in the happy medium territory because i don't think the 50, 40, 90 guy is going to happen for an 82 game season. Um, so I just hope that there, that, he, that it's really not as binary as you're making it out, that there's something in between there where he can, where he can still, where, where he can be, you know, maybe get that true shooting up to closer to or at the league average instead of below, maybe get, maybe not be net negative when he's on the court. I don't think you'll get to 50, 40, 90, but I think maybe, you know, and it'll help too, you know, a little bit with uh, some personnel changes as well. I mean, we ha- we haven't yet seen, and I don't, you may be asking about this in a minute, but 
we haven't even yet seen anything with Rudy Gay because he hasn't been on the court. So we don't know how that's I mean, anything we know about that is just guessing is just speculation at this point. So there are some wrinkles that we don't know that may help shape what happens during the during the bench minutes, the Clarkson minutes. Uh, but for now, I would say as much as I'd love it be the high guy, I can't imagine that it is. So I just hope there's a middle middle road somewhere and he can he can land there and help the team more than he did for most of the season. Yeah, yeah. And for the record, I, I probably should have phrased that better because I, in no way do I think that literally 82 games of 50, 40, 90 is realistic. I more just meant like this player that was like how many – profiles and think pieces were written last December and January about like, Oh, he's evolved and look at his shot chart and the jazz have turned him into a smarter player. And, and, um, and really what that lasted was about 13, 14, 15 games. And then he kind of went back to being the Jordan Clarkson that like, that is good, by the way, I'm not, I'm not impugning that Jordan Clarkson, the, the jazz need that guy. But uh, but the whole, oh, he's reinvented himself as a player was really about a month long. And that's more what I'm asking is is just kind of that spiritual version of Clarkson numbers aside. Um, and and by the way, even in the playoffs. So I said that, you know, outside of that hot first month, he was 534 true, true shooting with a negative net rating in the playoffs. He was 547 true shooting and a way negative net rating. I think it was like minus seven. Actually, I think I have it up. Minus seven point, minus seven point six per hundred possessions in the playoffs. Um, so you know that's I I don't I don't know that the Jazz can afford to have that version of Clarkson play as big a role. So so hopefully uh, hopefully at the very least there's like one of those hot months interspersed in there somewhere to help yeah, yeah. you know make the average <laughs> make the averages look more average. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'm down to my next to last question. Let's go with, uh, let's get this. This shouldn't be one that takes us too long to discuss, but we'll see. We, we've, we sometimes overachieve. Let's go with the rookie at the end of the season. We look down at the stat sheet. What minutes per game do you think we see on Gerald, but Jared Butler's final stats or Gerald? Yeah. Whoever. Um... Who's All Ger- the butlers. Isn't Gerald, isn't Gerald Butler a guy? Isn't isn't Gerald? Yeah, he's that Scottish actor, Ger- right? Well, Gerard, Gerard Butler, isn't it? Gerard yeah. Butler. Yeah. So now we've got the whole Butler family covered. We got Gerald yeah. and Gerard and Jared. Um, and I should know we're also uh, former Butler. Were the were they still the Beavers when you went there, or was it the Bobcats by then? Uh, I think they were the Beavers for me, yeah. and they were the okay. Bobcats for our little sister, who was oh. only two years behind me. Okay. So that's when they but she the also went there longer than I did. I only went to Butler for one year. To Butler? Oh yeah, that's right. That's right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. Before, yeah. I, my my entire existence, elementary existence, was as a Butler Beaver, and then several years later, that was too racy, and it had to be had to, had to turn him into the Bobcats. Okay. Is that so, really the reason? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's I I I low key love that. That's the reason they had to change it. Yeah. Um. Like who explained that to? <laughs> they they called were... the kindergartners in and said, "Here's the reason we're changing it, kids." <laughs> there was a there was a meme circulating yesterday um, involving an Arctic Circle sign 
where oh, they yeah. spelled a uh, a promotional item wrong. Yes. And I made the mistake of um of laughing at that joke while sitting at our mother's house and then having to explain what I was laughing at and why it was funny. So that's kind of what happened back in the 80s when someone had to sit down with some stodgy old administrator and explain why the beaver name was going to yeah. have to go. Yeah. Um, yes. All right. Okay. So back to Jared oh. Butler, not Gerard, <laughs> not Gerald, and not, and the not our elementary beavers. school. Yes. <laughs> um, I, you know, I think probably uh, in the in the mid to high teens, I and, and I, the only reason I say that high is because I think a lot of the games he plays will be games where he's going to play 20 to 24 minutes instead of eight minutes because he's going to be playing. He's going to be playing games that Mike or Joe or someone like that are sitting out. I, I everything I gather is that as of right now, he's got that what was Mie Oni's role last year, which is anytime a guard is going to miss a game, Jared Butler is the next guy up. So if it's Mike, then he doesn't necessarily take over Mike's minutes, but they re but they reallocate things and, um, and Jared Butler plays. If it's Joe, Jared Butler plays. Now, if it's Rudy Gay who misses a game or Hassan Whiteside or even Boyan Bogdanovich, in those cases, they, they probably look to someone like Eric Pascal to be the, the next guy off the bench. But I think any time a guard misses a game due to injury, um, due to rest, due to load management, or you know gets in foul trouble partway through a game and they need someone to go in and play a few minutes here and there, I think I, it sounds like Jared Butler is currently occupying that spot on the depth chart. And I don't think it's crazy to imagine that at some point he might he might you know start to make someone in that guard rotation uncomfortable and start to come for more minutes in certain situations, but, but again, that, I mean, the, the, go ahead. I was gonna say, could that be somebody we just talked about in the last question? Well, I don't know. That's the, that's the thing. Like I wrote about this last week and like the jazz's guard rotation right now, if you look at like now, again, me, is a guard by size, but Joe Ingles is a guard by like the philosophical purpose he plays in the offense. <laughs> right. And the types of players he guards on defense too. So if you really look at who the jazz is, guards are with a lowercase g it's um it's two all-stars and the top two sixth men of the year finishers so if a rookie who was drafted 40th really makes a play on one of their minutes then i think I, i think it's actually a pretty ridiculously good sign um i think the jazz's guard rotation is pretty set even though i say that knowing that i just sat here and delineated some of Jordan Clarkson's flaws. Yeah. All right. Anything more to talk about any of the butlers or should we move on and take the savings for a short question there? Well, I do have um, my ranking of Gerard Butler movies (laughs) ready, but I mean, that can, we can, whatever, we can save that for a different podcast. Let's do that another time. Okay. Um, I will ask you a question about, I have two left. So, I guess let's just let's go with another one of the new guys. Um, Rudy Gay gets brought in, and the obvious hole he's filling on the depth chart is George's George Niang's role. Um, George Niang though only played 16 minutes per game. So, how far does Rudy Gay, who played who averaged 22 last season with the Spurs, <clears throat> how how big of a role does he play beyond just 
assuming the Niang minutes? And if the answer is a lot, where do they come from? Sorry about that. Um, I had a, no, I, I actually had a cough uh, because I am a, as you mentioned earlier, I'm the recent COVID survivor, uh, COVID overcomer, uh, but I'm still have a little bit of a cough and it hit me right as you dropped the ball to me. So I think uh, this is going to be a tough, this is going to be a tough uh, battle, I think, for Quinn this year, not, not with Rudy Gay, but just divvying out these minutes because I think um, George Niang, who had his best season, no question, as a pro last year, um, he was also a guy who had who had come up and he was probably never going to complain a whole lot about minutes. I mean, did he want to play? Sure. Every guy, every one of these guys wants to play, but he was not going to be somebody who was going to be, you know, feel like he was being underutilized. He was a little bit, you know, a guy who was kind of felt blessed to be there. And that's, that's probably good. Rudy Gay's coming in. He played, did you say the number last year? 20, 22, 21.6. Yeah. I think they're going to find, 20 ish for him. And that could mean just shy of 20 and that could mean 22. So I think it's going to be in that same ballpark. And that's, and, and if it drops to 20 from 22, I don't think he'd squawk too much because, you know, he's another year older. This will be a five year season. Um, so, it, so I guess if the question is where are those other four minutes coming from, uh, you could probably carve a couple of those minutes out or maybe even all of them out of maybe Joe Ingles. I know they, I know you say Joe Ingles is a guard and, you know, his philosophically and everything, but I think we might start to see Joe pulled a little bit more into some different roles, especially now that the backcourt is, you know, has, has Jared Butler. I had to stop and think and make sure I said the right name there after all the jokes. Um, so maybe there's a little more of an ability to to rely on him less as a traditional backcourt player. Maybe he can do a little bit more of a wing type role on occasion. And but then the, some of those minutes could potentially come, you know, maybe Rudy Gay could spell him a little bit more just to pick up the extra two to four minutes that they might be looking to do. I just I just don't see him coming here and and you know dropping down to 16 minutes. And I think it would be a bit of a waste because my expectation, and again, we haven't seen him on the court in a Jazz uniform yet, is that he's going to add a versatility and some things that George Niang couldn't do. And again, George Niang had a spectacular season last year for George Niang, but I think Rudy Gay can add to that even in his age 35-year-old season. Yeah, the Jazz, um, just to clarify my comment about, like, yeah, Ingles is a guard, but he's also a 6'8 guard, and the Jazz... Yeah. The Jazz spend a lot of time with three of those players who I'm describing as guards on the court together. Mm -hmm. um, three of Mitchell, Conley, Ingles, and Clarkson, um, you know, played together for, you know, 20 minutes a night or so. So, yeah, I don't think it's crazy to imagine that that they'll just have fewer of those minutes where Ingles involved and and, you know, Rudy can obviously seamlessly move between the three and four and some people even think that um that he might be the playoff five and and that they that we might see some minutes there even before the the postseason arrives um just to give the jazz as you said earlier some optionality in terms of 
some different ways to play, especially if if Hassan Whiteside isn't able to move those feet better. Yeah, I was going to say if 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 Hassan's Whiteside's feet are stuck outside the paint after a pick, you know, there there's there's two to four more minutes they're going to try to roll the dice and say, well, let's try this with Rudy Gay, let's try this with Eric Pascal, let's see what else we can do to add some minutes. You didn't ask about Pascal, you asked about Gay, but you know. That's another, that's another option they will have if they're not yeah. happy with, with the effort that they're getting from Whiteside. Yeah, no, I mean, like I said a minute ago, I, I think that the I think it's obvious who the Jazz's nine man rotation is going into the season. I also think that Jared Butler is kind of on deck for guard minutes that might loosen up at any point, and Eric Pascal is on deck for any any big wing or big minutes that might loosen up. So, so fair point. Um, all right. I think we each have one more question to go. All right. Do you want to finish with your player question before I go to my coach question or should I just, should we just oh, keep trading off? Well, you spoiler. already said there's a you, coach question. You already spoiled that. <laughs> all right. Fair enough. Um, this one might be, we might be able to make quick work of this one too. Okay. Um, I didn't want to leave this player out and I do think that it's mildly interesting because, um, there have been so few windows of time since this player arrived in Utah, that all of the main sort of scoring options were healthy at the same time. And the few patches that that happened and that those players were all healthy at the same time, this seemed to be the guy who sort of had to sacrifice the most and play a little bit of second and third and fourth fiddle. So my question for you is, when, how, and how much will Boyan Bogdanovich eat? That's... The East German judge will not be happy with me, but I don't know. He he does tend to uh, give up touches, uh, and yet when there's a need, he's often been there and carried the team, as he did late last season when uh, Donovan and, and Mike were both out and they needed some scoring, and he brought it, uh, you know, not always, uh, you know, they, they lost some games there that we wish they hadn't, hadn't but um, they – he, he carried them a little bit offensively down the stretch. So when and how much and all that, I don't know. I mean, this goes back to what I was saying before about the Quinn Snyder conundrum this year. And, and uh, I've heard it brought up too, that uh, Rudy Gay and Hassan Whiteside use more possessions than Derek Favors and George Niang. So you've got a team that was already stretched a bit that had too many shots added more shots into the mix so this is where you know a potential coach of the year or the third place coach of the year finisher i guess earns his money keeping everybody happy somehow um and obviously winning helps with that but uh i you know i don't know i don't know where they find enough shots for everybody and and bogdanovich is certainly a guy who uh would like to would like to get it up i'm sure but there's only there's only 48 minutes and you know a hundred ish slightly less possessions in the game. Who wouldn't like to get it up a little? So that's <laughs> penetrating question. It is a penetrating question. Um, I'm going to explain to the uh, 1980s Butler Elementary School principal why that was racy. Um, why this is the now the Jazz After Dark podcast. I was, the other joke I was going to make is, or maybe he can just, maybe the way Quinn Snyder solves that is he just leaves someone off the team playing in Miami again this year. Um, <laughs> I, but, then I, but then I went and looked to see like where they're going to be just before Christmas because it just seems like it's a better story and a better joke if like 
it's Christmas Eve Eve and you're leaving someone behind and not letting them on the team plane. But sadly, the Jazz have like a seven, a six game homestand um, culminating with that Christmas Day game. So they're not going to be able to literally leave someone in Miami on Christmas this year. Hey, you probably don't remember this, but there was a I, that was not the first time the Jets left somebody in um, in uh, Miami at Christmas time, if I remember correctly. I'm I'm taking a quick look here. Yes, December twenty second, nineteen ninety. Pat Cummings played for the Jazz in Orlando. That's sorry, that was maybe not Miami, unless the next game was Miami, and then they waved him. Hmm. Uh, so it's it's there's a. Uh, there's a precedent, or there was that a precedent. A, that is a great connection. I'm also super impressed that you found it and confirmed it that fast because I'd still be typing things into basketball reference right now. Yeah. Um, so, so good work. Yeah. And then there was, uh, who wasn't it Ronnie Brewer who was on the team bus getting ready to go to the team plane? And then he found out he got traded and got off the bus and went to thank Jerry Sloan and say, you know, it was great playing for you, but Jerry didn't know about the trade yet. Something just, like that. I thought he was on the plane, as... but yeah, it was something like that. No, I think he literally got off the bus and and as Jerry was getting on and was like, "Sir, it's been an honor." And Jerry was like, "What the hell are you talking about? Get on the bus." And um, Jerry never said, "What the hell?" I can't even believe that. You're just keeping this. You're just keeping it clean. Yeah. Oh, right, right, right. <laughs> I thought you. I thought the joke was that he wouldn't use such foul language, but you're you're going the other way, which yeah, is exactly. That the that the principal of Butler Elementary would yeah. blush. <laughs> so um, you wouldn't have to explain anything to that principal after that interaction. Everything would be right. Um, no subtext or double entendre. Only one entendre. Yes. All right. Final um, question. Are you ready? Oh yeah, or, yeah, or yeah. Did you have more? Or did you have more on? Uh, on... No, no, no. I mean, yeah. I think okay. I think you're right. I think it's. Um, I I'm not I'm not worried about it. Like, I don't think the Jazz need to worry about managing his points per game. I do think they need to worry about just managing his involvement and keeping him engaged. But that's, you know, again, guys will miss time. And, and it, like, everyone will have their turn. Everyone will have a day where, you know, they get to carry the offense. And so I'm, I'm less worried about it. I just wanted to ask a bogey question because he's important. Okay. All right. Here's my, here's my uh, spoiled Quinn Snyder question. The question is not spoiled, but the fact that it relates to Quinn Snyder is, was spoiled. Um, and I feel a little silly asking this, but just bear with me. So in the aftermath of Dennis Lindsay resigning this offseason, one insider, team insider, said that Quinn won. The GM survey said that he's the top offensive coach in the league, and he was third, as I mentioned a minute ago, in coach of the year voting. And his team was a shambles by game six, so... I get all of those things. Still, is there any internal pressure that he feels that he's got to take this team at least into the conference finals the next year? How nervous is Quinn Snyder and should Quinn Snyder be? And to add a bullet point to to your list of reasons why it's a reasons dumb why question. his, his oh, no. stock is up here, even though yeah. his playoff track yeah. record is here. Um Woj recently gave a quote on, I think it was on the Jazz's own website on their roundup series. Woj basically said that if you put the 30 head coaches in a draft and teams could select, <clears throat> um, could select coaches from just a pool 
that he doesn't think Quinn Snyder would be on the board after the third coach pick mm-hmm. um, and maybe not even last that long. So, um, and this is Woj who we know that every league executive is on his speed dial. So he knows the way that team executives think about coaches. And he says that those individuals view Quinn as a, as a top three coach as well. So, so it is a good question. It's a good question because again, um, there's, there's a level of, um, there's a level of respect for, for Quinn and a level of expectation for Quinn that so far he, he hasn't, um, he hasn't necessarily lived up to. And there's a whole bunch of context behind that. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, like let's not forget that like four years ago, the jazz had to completely rethink their identity because a key, key, key player left. And, um, to Quinn's credit, one of the things he did in that transition period was figure out that as key as Gordon Hayward was, that there was a player on this roster who was even more important to their identity and to how they were going to win basketball games. And he deserves a lot of credit for, um, for realizing that Rudy Gobert was that level of superstar at a time when nobody thought of him that way. Uh Um, and then, and then again, Donovan, and then he had those spacing challenged rosters, and then he finally got a, a good roster that allowed him to live his offensive vision. But then there have been health issues yeah. nonstop since then. So, um, so I so it would be an oversimplification to say that Quinn has underperformed expectations, but but also I do think that it's at least a mild kind of show me year for him and the team overall. Um, but if this is what you're getting at, I don't think it's a show me year in the sense that if the jazz don't make it to the finals, Quinn gets asked to leave or anything like that. I, I, um, I think, and I, and I get the sense that Ryan Smith is a pretty big Quinn Snyder believer. So I think his job is safe unless like, there's controversy or the players tune him out or things like that happen, you know, like, like unless there's drama that goes beyond results. um, I think his job is safe, but yeah, I I think that sooner or later he's got to, it's the same thing with Terry Stotts, right? Like people said for years that Terry Stotts was one of the best minds in basketball and they might be right, but Terry Stotts teams just never did anything. So eventually Terry Stotts had to pay the piper and, and you know, got that pink slip. So, um, I, I think we're a ways away from Quinn needing to worry about it at that level. But uh, you know, he doesn't want to become the guy about whom we say a year or two from now, man, that team should really have had more success with a coach that smart and that innovative and that intelligent and and um, and with all those talents. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So. So I, I guess my I guess the short answer to your question is no if it's like a hot seat question. But yeah, I think that there is I think that there is a good kind of pressure surrounding the whole organization this year. Let me put it that way. Okay. Yeah, no, my my question it was it wasn't really a hot seat question, although that could have been an answer that that somebody gave, but but not not clearly not you. More it was more of a 100% he has his own internal pressure. I'm sure he's a driven wants to win wants to wants to do it for himself for the team for the organization everything but the question you know more where did we think the 
organization's internal pressure is on him. And I, and I agree. I don't think it's a hot seat type thing. Um, I think there might be a few people out there who might say that, that, you know, every once in a while, you know, every time there's a three game losing streak, Glenn's got to go or, <laughs> or, or in the early nineties, Jerry's got to go. Um, yeah. But, uh, but we, you know, generally speaking, you know, ownership of this team. And although that's a new, new entity at this point has been more patient than firing Jerry Sloan in the early nineties, clearly. Um, and also, than firing Quinn Snyder for a for a three game losing streak. So well, and even Dwayne Wade. I mean, like Dwayne Wade. Obviously, his his opinion on basketball things is going to matter. We've already seen that. Um, and Dwayne Wade played for another franchise that really valued, you know, writing it out with a coach and a and a set and a and, and even broader than that one job, like trusting leadership over the long haul, right, and not overreacting to every down season or every early playoff exit or whatever it may be. So I, I don't. And then the other thing I'd say too, is like to anyone who wants to entertain the hot seat part of the discussion, I'm like, who like, and then what, like, who right. are they signing? Right. Sure. Um, hot seat folks don't usually think that far ahead, but, but yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. So, I mean, and we could go there, but it's, it's probably <laughs> moot because it sounds like we both agree that, um, that while there is, like I said, it's, this is the good kind of pressure. This is the kind of pressure you want to have. If you're an NBA team, you want to get to the point where everybody expects you to be good. And like, that's the other point I'd make about this season. That's about to start. And like, this is a, I don't want to turn this into a rant. Cause like this could be its own whole, like we, as a, as a jazz fan community fan base coverage arm, whatever you want to call it we're about to enter one of those seasons where like this is going to be a pretty thankless next six months. Yeah. Right. Like every time the jazz win, people are going to go, okay, they should have won that game. And every time they lose, it's going to be like, what the hell is happening to the Utah jazz? And um, we know a guy who would have said weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. Yes. Yes. Um, <laughs> I mean, he didn't make that up, but you know what I mean? Right. Um, so, you know, that's, that's just the thing to keep in mind is that like the, the teams who do special things first have to get to a point where it is surprising when they lose a game in January to the whoever's and um, you know, and that'll happen. And, and like, the, the other thing is there's not that many poorly run NBA teams anymore. Like there are teams at different points in the cycle and there are teams that are more competitive or less competitive, or they're trying to, you know, play for different things or, or whatever. So I'm not pretending that like everyone out there is good, but, but like, this is, this is a good, this is a league where like six or eight teams are going into this season feeling like they have, a, ta- a tangible shot at a championship and that's not the case every year. Mm-hmm. And um, so, so having those expectations is good. Um, it, it does mean that there will be a special level of pitchforkery every time something doesn't go the right way, but that just, that comes with the territory of being a great team. All right. I think that's a wrap. That is, that is, that was, that was 10 questions. We, Again, 
we just asked, we just each came up with 10 questions. So if we didn't ask a question about Royce O'Neill or Mieoni or Elijah Hughes or Doak or Pascal or whoever, it's not because we don't love them. We love them all. We, we love, love them. Good we love everybody. Um, those were just the questions that we thought might be most tied to um, the variability and what might happen over the course of the next six months. And then obviously um, the season that follows those 82 games, which is what really matters because as we've said, the, the jazz of the jazz have shown what they can show in a regular season context. And now it's all about trying to get past those, uh, those postseason demons. Um, Ken, thanks for joining me. Thanks for your penetrating questions and um, yeah, excited to see how this plays out. Alrighty. Well, uh, I will be there Wednesday night. And I know you were not there, not there, there in the room. We'll be but, there, you know, there. We'll yeah. be like, you, yeah. you'll be there, right? You'll be doing Spanish radio. Uh, we are, we are doing at least this, the, uh, the remote way. Oh, okay. All because right. of, you know, concerns about the world we live in. Um, okay. One of, one of my on-air partners is, um, yeah, we're, we're doing it remotely for now and then we'll see how it goes i'm only filling in for a couple of weeks um right there are there are other people who have been doing an, an extraordinary job with that since i left town so my goal was not to come back to town and say you all have to leave this position now i am back and i am getting in front of the microphone but they need my help and so i'm going to be uh going to be jumping on spanish radio for a couple weeks worth of games Alrighty. um estaré escuchando muy bien. Dale. All right. This has been a Salt City Hoops podcast. That's Ken Clayton over there. I'm Dan Clayton. Uh, the Jazz are about to get going, and we'll have it all for you here at Salt City Hoops. Thanks for listening.